whole f- f- uh, found themselves swept into the magical land of Narnia. Now, Eustace had been there before, so he knew that he was about to encounter all kinds of mystery and excitement, but Jill wasn't so sure what was going on, and so Jill found herself in a terrifying, if not exciting, situation. But as happens in Narnia, when Aslan, the the Christ figure, would call people from our world to his, adventure happened. Eustace and Jill learned quickly that the true prince of Narnia had gone missing some years before. Nobody knew where he was. Nobody knew what had happened to him. But they were sent on the mission to find Prince Rillian. And as they journeyed, they encountered all sorts of perilous creatures and situations. And after fleeing some giants, they found themselves tumbling down into a cavern. They tumbled down and down into the deep darkness underneath the earth where it seemed that all hope was lost. There was no way that they were ever going to find their way out of such of a void. And then a gentle, mysterious, eerie green glow appeared, and they were taken prisoner by these underworld folk. And they were taken to a city, and the people of that city that lived under the earth were the most sorrowful sorts of people you could imagine. They had a frown, no matter what they looked like, no matter what their build, every single one of them seemed abjectly sorrowful. And Jill and Eustace as prisoners were put into a room under the guard of a black knight. And they found that this black knight, every night, this guard, this important person would be strapped to a silver chair. And they were told that he would be going raving mad during that time. But upon some investigation, they learned that this black knight would have moments of clarity not lunacy. And he cried out to them and said, I am really and I am the true prince of Narnia. I have been enchanted by an evil sorceress. These people who live under here are slaves to the evil sorceress and her power seems to know no bounds. This night was, in fact, really an How in the world would these two children break the spell and conquer this evil enemy? How would they free the prince and these sorrowful people who lived underground in the deep darkness? Our text today is for those who have dwelt in a land of of deep darkness for whom salvation might even seem impossible. Our text today is God's message to the brokenhearted and the downtrodden, those who seem to be overwhelmed by the brokenness and horrors of the world we often experience. If you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 9 through 14 to hear God's message to those in a land of deep darkness. This is the word of the Lord. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. 
but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. It is true, and it is given in love. Let's bow our heads in prayer briefly. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and redeemer. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray and ask that you would guide us now. Amen. As we consider our text, we will see that God answers our deepest need, and that answer is Jesus himself. We will see that Jesus is light, Jesus is truth, and that Jesus is life. You see, verse 9 tells us that, that God gives light, the true light, not some false light, not some mysterious evil green glow, but true light. It was coming into the world. Now, we notice it says it gives light to everyone. No, it doesn't make sense to think that this would say that all people are saved as in a universal salvation because we actually see in this very text that there are those who reject that very light and don't know it. But here's the thing about light. It shines. You can't avoid it. When light shines into darkness, it produces good. And anywhere Christ goes, goodness follows. Beloved, if you are a follower of Christ, you are a beacon of light in a dark world. And everywhere you go, you are a testimony that God is good. You are a testimony of the goodness of the light that came into the world because he dwells in us by faith. And this idea of light, it calls back to the creative event in Genesis where God called the light into being and it ruled over the darkness. By God's divine fiat, he set it into being and it was because light overcomes darkness. And so as light overcomes darkness, what does it do for us? Well, it reveals things. If you're in a cave, it reveals that which is underfoot and that which is overhead so that you don't trip or, or hit your head. But for us in, in, in our lives today, the light of the gospel will reveal to us what is true. It reveals our hearts, and that's sometimes a painful process as we see our own sin and we need to repent. And we, we also see by the light of the gospel the brokenness around us so that we can say we know what is right and wrong. We know that we cannot support injustice. We know that we cannot support wickedness. Light reveals, and it even pushes those dark places out into the light so we can see them for what they are. And because of that, we have joyful expectation. You see, there are those who formerly, who reformerly rejected that light. But as light does its work and pushes into the dark places and makes truth evident, 
those who rejected the light will come to see it for what it is. They will be enlightened by the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our hope, and we can have that expectation. Maybe it's in our own lives. Maybe it's in our struggles to have faith in the middle of a difficult season of life. Or maybe we have those whom we love, who we desire that they would know the Lord. Brothers and sisters, light conquers darkness, and as we live God-honoring lives, as we speak the truth, as the gospel has its effect on us, then those whom we love can't help but see the goodness of the gospel. And so the way we live our lives, the fact that we worship together, the fact that we worship in spirit and truth is an invitation to those whom we love who are walking in darkness to come into the glorious light. Don't give up on your loved ones. Don't give up on the lost. Light will have its effect. Jesus is truth. Not only is he light, he is truth. See, when it tells us that he is the word, that is divine self-expression. It is God revealing himself, not ambiguously and not in all sorts of mystery, but in clarity so that we might know. You see, the word Sophia in, in, in the Greek is often used to describe even the Holy Spirit. It's the wisdom of God. That Bible that's sitting in, in the pew in front of you, the one in your hands, the one on your phone, that is God's love letter to the lost. That is God's love letter to you when you're found. It is his, it is his instruction guide for your life. It is meant to change your heart. So often we take the word of God, which is wisdom for life and godliness, and we make it a list of rules. Or we use it as a weapon to assault others with whom we disagree. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, that the word of God is given as wisdom so that it might change our hearts and make us new every morning as we contemplate on the good word of God. It changes us. And Jesus identifies with the truth of God so much that he is the revealed word of God. God didn't just send scripture to us. He sent his son. Jesus is the word of God. His message to you is that he would send his beloved son, his one and only son, for you and for me, though we certainly do not deserve it. Jesus is at the center of and the fulfillment of all of that divine speech. That big, thick Bible you have is all about Jesus. He is the one who fulfills the law's demands. He is the one who fulfills the prophetic utterances that one day, someday, God is going to answer death and sin and suffering. You see, Jesus is truth not just because it's a true story, but because he's the one who defines truth, which means that God is knowable through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We don't worship somebody who can't be known. We don't worship a God wh whose name we don't know or whose character we don't know. Just like you can know that I am different than Christian. We both work at this church. We both love Jesus, but we're very different people because we're knowable. Jesus Christ is ultimate proof that God is knowable because he was incarnate and he had likes and dislikes there were probably some foods he didn't like. 
and he, had, he suffered and he also got to experience joy so that he can identify with us. God is knowable. Real truth may be rejected, but it is still true nonetheless. God reveals himself to us. We can reject it, but it doesn't make the fact that who he is is the ultimate truth of creation in the world. And this truth demands a response, doesn't it? If something is ultimately true, if it's the big truth, it's the thing that defines all of reality, then we ought to respond. And we're told in our text that there are those who should have, could have and should have and would have known the Messiah, but they rejected him. But we're also told that God does not abandon his children and that there will one day, someday, be those from Israel who previously rejected the Savior who turned to him. And the same can be true for you and for me and for those whom we love. It can be true for those in our community. So we who believe in God and his sovereignty proclaim the good news of the gospel to those who need to hear it. Why? Because it is the ultimate truth and it will change hearts and bring joy into dark places. We also see that truth is rooted in God's will, his word, and his work. If you look at verse um, 13, we, are bo- we were born not of the blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. He is intricately involved in your faith. God is intricately involved in your development as a Christian and as a person. God is involved because he delights in you. And so this truth is rooted in the fact that God cannot be untruthful and nor can Jesus. And then third, we see that Jesus is life. We're told that he is the life who gives light to men. He's the exact image and representation of God. If we're made in the image of God, how much do we need to be in union with this Savior, to be connected to him so that we can experience life to the full? We know that the world was made through him. He is divine. There are those who might tell us that Jesus was a great teacher or that he was a famous person or, or something like that. And yes, he was a great teacher, but we're told right here that he was there in the beginning. Eternal God, creator of the heavens and the earth. God the Father, Jesus, and, uh, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit living together in eternity with a perfect union, loving each other for eternity. And what do they do? The love overflows into a creative event where God decides he wants to make something else to pour out his love on. What was that something else? It was you. It was me. God's delight is to love that which he creates. So the true glory and fullness of grace and truth, they go together. And so we have the definitive characteristics of our Savior on display right in front of us so that we can worship him and know him and delight in him and support one another in our faith. But let's, let's be clear. We, we need to understand this. We can't have grace without truth, and you can't have truth without grace. Grace without truth is just meaningly, meaninglessness. Think about it. 
if I don't care what's true at all, and I just extend grace everywhere willy-nilly, it's, it, it becomes meaningless. There's, there's no justice. There's no purpose. And on the other hand, if we have truth without grace, grace, we end up with harsh hopelessness, smashing people with what is true even though we don't show grace and love and mercy. We have to have grace and truth together. It is no accident that they are in the same sentence together here, that God is full of grace and truth. And we see here in this text that the answer to our deep darkness, we who are in bondage to this evilness and brokenness of the world, the only answer is to be adopted by God. We were born not of the blood, not of the flesh, but of the will of God. But do you catch that? Verse 12 tells us we become children of God. You are not just a friend of God. It's, it's, I think it's right to talk about Jesus as a friend of sinners. But if you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are adopted as a child of God. What are the, what are the uh, rights that come with that? Well, first off, justification, which is the change in legal status. We talk about that a lot. You are declared not guilty of sin. But here's the thing. Adoption is a change in personal status. You are no longer a stranger. You are no longer an alien. You are no longer unworthy. You are no longer unloved. You are a son and daughter of the king, fully loved through the person and work of Jesus Christ. One of the other rights that comes with this is that God cannot disown his children. That would violate his character. And there are limits on God. He can't violate his own character, his own perfections. And when he says you are his child, that cannot change. You, as an adopted child of God, cannot be abandoned. And then we're invited into this full, deep worship. What we're doing tonight is just a foretaste of what's gonna happen in heaven. It's just a foretaste of what this world will be like when Jesus descends and reestablishes his kingdom in its fullness and the new, new Jerusalem is built and we cultivate beauty and glory and God is worshiped. This is just a foretaste. All of this is only possible because it is God's will. Our salvation must first be God's will. It cannot be our own choosing. An alien power must first undo the curse of sin and death. So what happened to Rillian? What happened to Eustace and Jill? They fought valiantly against the evil sorceress. They freed Rillian and the sorrowful people from the underground city. How did they do it? They killed the enemy. They drove a sword through that witch's heart. For those who can't see the light, the enemy binds them, but that enemy has been defeated. Jesus Christ has victory over death. He has victory over Satan. He has victory over the world and the flesh. Brothers and sisters, what we celebrate when we celebrate the incarnation of our Savior is we celebrate his march into the enemy territory and his slaughtering of our enemy so that we might be freed from deep darkness and welcomed into the glorious light. And we are children of the King. 
by faith, by God's grace, for his glory. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you and we praise you for the salvation offered in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you sent your son into this world, light of light, God of God, into this world that we might be bought with a price. We thank you for the incarnation that overwhelms us in its glory. And we praise you further. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you would all please stand to sing our hymn of thankfulness. We'll sing verses one, two, and four of the first Noel.